Acts chapter 1. Today is a very important day on the church calendar. When I say church calendar, I don't mean church like reality. I mean church universal. Today is the day known as Pentecost. And that is the day that we remember, celebrate, look back upon, rejoice in God pouring out the Holy Spirit upon the church. Today ought to be a celebration because it's a glorious thing that God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he poured it out upon the church. And you and I, being here saved, being here today, are a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you, as I go to prayer in a moment, to begin to cultivate a heart of celebration in yourself. It's an important day on the church calendar. We ought to be rejoicing. We ought to have an attitude of gratitude and a celebrative spirit about us. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we just pray that today we would be instructed in who you are, Holy Spirit. Jesus said about you that you're the teacher of all things. We ask that today you'd come and teach us about yourself. We just confess, at least I confess, I've got so much to learn about you, Holy Spirit. The way that you work and the things that you do and, and all the insight that you can give us into the heart of our Father. And so we ask together now the Holy Spirit, you'd come. And you just begin to move in our midst and you'd instruct our hearts and you'd transform our hearts. And Lord, really, that you would just set us on fire. The Spirit, you just come and just fan the flame in our hearts for Jesus Christ. We ought to be the most stoked people on earth that we've been saved. And so just come and set us on fire today and redeem us and anoint us for your purposes, God, for your glory. Pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as I said, today is Pentecost, and it's kind of a weird word. You might be wondering, where does that word come from? What does it mean? Well, the English word Pentecost comes from the Greek word that means 50th. And it's 50th because Pentecost happens on the 50th day after Easter on the Christian calendar. It, it sort of aligns with a Hebrew festival, uh, the Festival of Weeks, or Shavuot, which happens 50 days after Passover, and, and they nearly align on both calendars. And the reason that there's 50 days after Easter until Pentecost is that Jesus hung out 40 days after he rose from the dead until he ascended, 40 days. And then he told his disciples to hang out for a few days until they received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And they hung out for a period of 10 days. And so we have 50 days from Easter until Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, and it happened about 1,975 years ago. And, and what, what we ought to look at it as is the proper birth date of the church. Uh, the proper date as, as when the church really began. And, and the reason that we call it the birth date is by way of the fact of why the church exists. You must understand this. The church exists for mission. The church exists to carry out the mission of God. And the mission of God can be encapsulated in something called the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, that we are to go forward and make disciples of all the nations. That is the mission of God. And he has invited us into that work. We are called co-laborers with him. And so we have been co-missioned to be a part of the work of God. And the church's existence has to do with primarily carrying out the mission of God. Now, what's interesting about that 
is that mission could not be embarked upon. There was no hope for carrying it out. There was no chance of success in moving forward in the mission of God for the early church until they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're looking at today in Acts chapter 1 and 2. So let's read a few verses from Acts 1, and then we'll read from Acts 2. Acts 1, let's start in verse 4. It says, And gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Okay, he's speaking to the disciples here. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which Jesus said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which a father has fixed by his own authority. But, here's something they were to know. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so it's very interesting that Jesus Christ, before he ascended, told his disciples, don't do anything until you receive the promise of the Father, until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. He had already told them to go and make disciples of the nations, but then he gives them this very important statement. You can't do it till you have the power. You can't engage in the mission until you have the means which is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, wait for it. And then he ascends into heaven, and they're waiting around, praying and worshiping and seeking the Lord, waiting for the promise of the Father. And then we pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now you've got to catch the picture of what was happening. As I said before, Pentecost here lines up with a Hebrew festival known as Shavuot, or the Festival of Weeks. And this was one of the three festivals spoken of in Leviticus 23, where every Jewish male over the age of 18 had to be in Jerusalem. And so, of course, these males would have taken their families with them, and kids, and so on and so forth. And so at this time of the year, the beginning of the harvest season, at this time of the year, Pentecost, Basically, every Jew in Israel was gathered in Jerusalem. They were commanded to do so in Leviticus 23. And they would gather to celebrate the Lord. And the population of Jerusalem would swell to several hundred thousand. Uh, the historian Josephus says that there's about 2.5 million that would be in Jerusalem at this time. And when we go there this September, you'll see it's a tiny place. So it was just bustling with activity. And all these people that came to worship and to celebrate the Lord and then there was this little subgroup, 120 disciples of this Jewish rabbi named Yeshua. And they were gathered together in an upper room, praying and seeking the Lord. And with hundreds of thousands of people around, there came sweeping over that region into Jerusalem and along Mount Zion in the Temple Mount, this mighty rushing wind. 
And it was the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. And all of a sudden, there appeared upon these 120, the disciples of Jesus, these little flames of fire over their head that looked like little tongues of fire trip out, right? That's weird. And then they begin to speak in other tongues. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as you read on in the chapter, you'll see that there were people from different regions who didn't speak the Hebrew dialect, but all of a sudden the disciples began to speak to them in the dialect that they knew. The Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. And what they did was they were speaking the wonders of God. They were proclaiming the glory of God and the majesty of God. And they were worshiping him. And everybody gathered there could understand them in their own dialect. And the Holy Spirit had come upon the church. And the mission of God had begun. And Peter would preach a Pentecost sermon this day. 3,000 would be saved when Peter preached. That was not the pre-Pentecost Peter. That was something different. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, the world changed at Pentecost. And the church was birthed because the mission began. And so the church entered into that very thing for which it existed. And you and I sit here today, some 1975 years later, as a product of that move of the Spirit upon that early church and the mission that went, went, that went forth. And we are to carry on that mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to talk about the Holy Spirit as he relates to the mission of the church for a few minutes. And here's what I want to cover. The who, what, why, and how of the Holy Spirit. The who, what, why, and how of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the who. Who is the Holy Spirit? You need to realize, <clears throat> excuse me, that the Holy Spirit is not an it. A lot of times you hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Some of the cults believe that it is an it, an impersonal force. And sometimes Christians, not quite educated, speaking of the Holy Spirit, say, well, it is not an it. Scripture does not portray the Holy Spirit as an it or an impersonal force. Rather, it is a he. It is a person, the third person of the Holy Trinity. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is not an, not an impersonal force. He is personal and active and knowable as the third person of the Trinity that is God. Now, the Holy Spirit, what? Well, the first thing that I want to point out is this, is that the Holy Spirit was called by Jesus the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Listen, God is our Father and God is good. Amen. And God makes good on his promises. And like any good father, he has desires for his children and gifts that he wants to give to his children. And the book of James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And, and the Father had a special gift for those who would be his, for the church. Jesus called that gift the promise of the Father, that is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father that flows forth from his Father's heart, his good heart. And listen, what more could the Father give than to give of himself? For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? God is a lover and God is a giver. And he expresses his love for you and I and that he gave Jesus to die on the cross. But then further, he gives us a third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, for an empowering and so the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. The second thing we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is the power for Christian living and mission. 
He is the power for Christian living and for mission. Notice what it said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon the Christian and the Christian then receives power to be a witness of who Jesus Christ is. And that is the mission of the church and the mission of individual Christians. And every one of you has this calling upon your life. You must realize that. Too few Christians realize that. That you exist to represent Jesus Christ. That you have a mission. We often look at other people and say, well, he's got a mission and she's got a mission. No, man, you do. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're alive, your little body is warming one of these nice soft seats, it's because God has a plan and a purpose to use you in this lifetime. If he didn't, he would kill you and take you to heaven. You understand that? When he's done with you, you will die. Heaven is a far more wonderful place than here. And Jesus Christ died upon the cross that we might be with the Father. And so why would the Father leave us here? This place is rotten compared to heaven. He had better have a good reason. The reason is mission. And you are on a mission, Christian. It's time you wake up and you realize that. Every one of you is called to represent Jesus Christ. Now, each one of you is going to do it differently. Some are big mouth preachers like me. Others of you, amen. Thank you. The one time I don't want an amen and I get one. Just kidding, Keith. Others of you are just called to humbly love the person that works in the cubicle next to you. Others of you are called to be representatives of Jesus Christ on the college campuses. Each one of you is called to be a witness in whatever sphere of influence Jesus has given you. You know what, moms? Maybe your sphere of influence is just your kids right now. That is your mission. You better realize that, mama. That is your mission, to represent Jesus to those little hearts. Whatever your sphere of influence is, not later, right now. God has a plan to use you. Today, if you've been born again, God has a plan to use you. And it's to simply witness to who Jesus is. Now, part of the way that we will do that is to verbalize the gospel and to talk about Jesus. That's cool. Not everybody's good at talking, and the Lord knows that. You know what's a more powerful witness than anything we would ever say is the way that we live. And, and that is a primary way that we are witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, it's impossible to represent him well without the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you try to do that, you'll fail miserably. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I do. And so the Holy Spirit is given to the Christian to supply us with power to rightly represent Jesus within our sphere of influence and if the Lord wills, beyond. And when, when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, he yields in your life what is called in Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things are contrary to who we are apart from Jesus Christ, right? But when the Holy Spirit, when you're connecting with the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, He transforms you into the image of Jesus and makes you more like Jesus that you can represent Jesus to the people who are in your life. And so He works in us love where it's lacking.
Joy where it's missing. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He works those attributes of Jesus into the people of Jesus that we might then represent him to a lost and dying world. And we need the person of the Holy Spirit functioning in our lives to do that. Now, often we miss out on that because we just sell ourselves short. We just think, well, God doesn't want to use me that much. You know, and what do I do? You know, I'm a mechanic and I just do this all day and I'm stuck with cars and I've never seen a car that got saved. You know what I mean? And well, what am I supposed to do? And listen, oftentimes we just sell the Lord short. He really does want to use you. But I'll tell you this, according to scripture, he wants to use you more than we could even fathom. Does not Ephesians 3.20 say this? That God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything that we have ever thought to ask him. The Lord is able to do above and beyond anything that we ever think to ask. If we limit God to what we could see as possible, we limit God to almost nothing at all. But when we just come before him and say, hey God, I don't know much, but I'm making myself available to you. And I want the power of the person of the Holy Spirit to be functioning into my life. And I want to be a witness for you. Well, then we realize that God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything that we ever would have thought to ask. And the rest of the verse says, according to the power that mightily works within us. Now that power is the person of the Holy Spirit. It is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, and that is the power that is available to the Christian. And you and I can call upon the person of the Holy Spirit in the moment of need when we want to represent the Lord rightly. It might just be in your marriage, and you're just short on temper, and, and, and you're just coming to the end of yourself. You call upon the person of the Holy Spirit. I need patience. Might be that there's turmoil and disarray in your life. You call upon the person of the Holy Spirit. Come and minister the peace of Jesus Christ to my life. Might be that you just want to wring somebody's neck and you call upon the Holy Spirit. Give me self-control and kindness to represent the Lord right now. And so the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father and he is the power for Christian living and for mission. And the Holy Spirit is called by Jesus our helper. I want you to turn to the book of John as we look at this. John 14. John chapter 14, looking at the Holy Spirit as the helper from the words of Jesus. We'll start in verse 16 of John 14. Jesus speaking says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. If you have the King James, it says comforter. That's cool. If you have the NIV, it says counselor. Same idea. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper. Another, that Greek word for another is alas. It simply means uh, um, uh, of equal value. I'm going to give you a helper of equal value, right? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. No less than Father, Son, third person of the Trinity. I'm going to give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. So Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our helper. Look in verse 26 of John 14. He repeats himself. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 
He repeats himself again in chapter 15, verse 26. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And he says it again in chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you to the truth, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus here defines the Holy Spirit as the helper, or the comforter, as can be translated, or the counselor. The Greek word is parakletos, and it simply carries the idea of one who is called to someone else's aid. The Holy Spirit is called to our aid. How humbling is that? How glorious is that? The Holy Spirit is called to help us live the Christian life. He is one who is called on our behalf. He's a mediator, intercessor, and helper. And he is so effective in helping us live the Christian life, so absolutely necessary that Jesus said in John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the other helper can't come. Jesus was the helper of the disciples at that point. We, we miss the potency of that statement because we haven't walked with Jesus for three years. We didn't watch him walk on the water. We didn't see him raise people from the dead. We didn't see him multiply the fish and the loaves. We haven't seen him in his glory as some of the disciples did. Understand the profundity of that statement when Jesus said to them, I'm leaving you, but it's better that I leave you so that the other helper, the Holy Spirit, can come. That means that in the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit is the perfect companion for the Christian life. Everything that we need for Christian life and living is supplied to us by the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he's so good, he's so wonderful, he is so sufficient for you that it's the best thing that I physically leave you and ascend to the right hand of the Father, that the Holy Spirit might come and be with you. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that he's the teacher of all things. We just read that in John 14, 26, where Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. And so the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity that is active in instructing you and I. Anybody here that needs wisdom for living? Anybody here that needs help making some decisions? Anybody here that wants to know more about God? Anybody here that wants greater insight into human nature? The Holy Spirit is the teacher of all things according to Jesus Christ. He's the one who comes along and instructs us. You know, it's a prayer that I pray every time I read the Bible. I open up the Bible and I say, Holy Spirit, come and teach me. Jesus said, you're the teacher of all things. Come and teach me. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy laws, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119. The Holy Spirit is the one who instructs. And so when there's things that the Christian needs to know, we can seek the person of the Holy Spirit. We can engage in relationship with the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and seek him to come and instruct us. When we don't know how to pray, Jesus said in Romans 8.26 that the Holy Spirit helps our weakness when we don't know how to pray as we ought and teaches us how to pray and can even give us special tools to pray. And there's a prayer language that is spoken of in Romans chapter 8. When we don't know which way we ought to go, 
Romans 8.14 says that those who are the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. And, and so you come to a crossroad in life. And they happen all the time. Little ones and big ones. And you're not sure what to do. And everybody around you has a different decision. Who do you turn to? The Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. You pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. I don't know to go right or to left. I, I don't know which is the right way. Would you please come and lead me, Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is available to instruct and to lead and to guide us. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to relate to God as Father. It says in Romans 8, uh, verse 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen to me very carefully. The Holy Spirit, as a teacher of all things, teaches us how to relate to God as Father. Humanity in general often has difficulty with that because we have a marred image of father. Many of us had fathers who were sinners, and they messed up. They let us down. Some of you had fathers that weren't there. You had, you had fathers that didn't provide. You had fathers that were abusive, or fathers that didn't show affection in a certain way, or there was no touch, or there was no expression of I love you. And, and, and so you have this marred image of father now. And yet we are called in the Bible to relate to God as Father. But we don't always know how to do it. There's sometimes this disconnect in humanity because we built up some walls to the Father image because it's been marred by the failures of men. And the Holy Spirit comes and dismantles those walls for us. And he begins to teach us how to relate to God as Father. And what it says there is that his Spirit teaches our spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic for daddy or papa. That's how we're to relate to God as Father. Just that childlike faith that Jesus spoke of and that simplicity of being able to say, hey, daddy. That's not always simple because of the marred image of Father. We need to be very careful not to project the failures of our earthly fathers upon the image of our heavenly Father. Let the image of your heavenly Father be formed solely by Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit and relate to him thusly. You know, my little Daisy love, she'll be three on June 23rd. She's almost three. And when I come home from work, she hears that door open and she knows about what time of day it is. It doesn't matter what room she's in. She's way at the back of the house. She hears that door open and I hear her little chubby feet start running down the hall and she yells, Daddy! And she comes through the living room with her little arms open wide, just running as fast as she can and just leaps and I just sweep her up in my arms and we just hug each other and rejoice in the moment. It's just absolutely simple and beautiful. There, there's no complexity to that. that. That hasn't been messed up at all. She just says, Daddy, and she just knows I'm going to catch her, and she knows I'm going to hold her, and she expects me to love her and to nourish her on my love at that moment. And so it is to be with us and our Heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit, if you'll seek the person of the Holy Spirit to instruct you in these things, if you'll let the Holy Spirit work on your heart, he'll begin to unfetter your heart from all the hurt of your earthly father. He'll begin to redeem and simplify and set right the image of father. And he will instruct your spirit to bring you to the place of being able to cry out, Abba or Daddy to the God of the universe. This is the person the Holy Spirit does for the Christian. 
It, it says that the Holy Spirit also teaches us about our position in God. In verse 16 of Romans 8, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, sometimes the enemy likes to come along and sometimes he makes false accusations. He's the accuser, but sometimes he makes true accusations. Like, does the enemy ever say to you, you are such a dirty, rotten, foul, cheesy scumbag. I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. Anybody relate? Listen, those aren't false accusations when the enemy says that to me. That's exactly who I am, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. But I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I've been sanctified, and so are you. And we've been adopted into the family of God, and now we're children of God. And when the enemy comes along to challenge your position before God, you appeal to the person of the Holy Spirit. You say no to the voice of the enemy. You stand firm and resist him, and you call upon the person of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, come and minister my position in God to my spirit. Help me to cry out, Abba, Father. Remind me that I am a child of God who has been adopted and is accepted and adored by him. The third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, does that for you and I. And then there's something else that the, the Holy Spirit does. He gives an anointing. Are you familiar with that phraseology? Sort of mystical, sort of, you know, an anointing. And we speak about, wow, that person is an anointed teacher, or that person is an anointed evangelist, or anointed home group leader, or whatever it is. And that's referencing a work of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 John 2.27, As for you, the anointing, Okay, work of the Holy Spirit, which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you should abide in Jesus Christ. And so there is this concept of anointing, where, where the Holy Spirit instructs us, transforms us, and grows us with his presence and his anointing. And it says there that this particular audience didn't need anybody to teach them because they had a powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want to warn you, that's indicative or descriptive of the Holy Spirit, not all Christians. Not all Christians don't need anybody to teach them. Otherwise, why would the Holy Spirit give people the gift of teaching? But in that context, he was just saying, wow, you guys have a powerful anointing, and the Holy Spirit is instructing you. And so listen. Because we recognize when a moment or a ministry or a person or you has an anointing upon them for ministry, we must begin to recognize that that is and is from the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we've got to be very careful in our hearts then to give God the glory and not a man. We've got to be very careful to give God the glory and not a man. If you say of somebody, oh, he's an anointed teacher, or he's an anointed evangelist, the response in your heart ought to be, praise the Lord, give glory to God for that. And so there is this anointing from the Holy Spirit that teaches and empowers and instructs. And then fifthly, the Holy Spirit is a giver of gifts. I want you to go 1 Corinthians, if you would, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians is just after Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. The Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual gifts. Let's start reading 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit 
for the common good. Key phrase there, for the common good. Once you keep that in the back of your mind. For to one is given the word of wisdom, that's a spiritual gift, through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So as we think about the spiritual gifts, it's the Holy Spirit who imparts them. And it's according to his sovereignty, just as he wills, and they are given for the common good. Now that was a list of some spiritual gifts. That's not all the spiritual gifts. And we don't have time to go into the spiritual gifts right now. I did a teaching series on that some time ago. You can find it on our website if you have questions about the spiritual gifts. But suffice it to say th this right now. Spiritual gifts are supernatural enabling to meet extraordinary needs. The spiritual gifts are supernatural enablings by the Holy Spirit to meet extraordinary needs. When you engage in the mission of God, to do the work of God, to serve the people of God, you will encounter extraordinary needs, needs that are beyond yourself. And at that time, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit available to us. And it's the Spirit who gives those gifts and then empowers those gifts and enables us to use us and anoints us to use them powerfully. So he is the giver of spiritual gifts. He's also the giver of the gift of the Father's love. It says in Romans 5.5 5, that the Holy Spirit is the one who pours the love of the Father into our hearts. It's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so he gives us gifts for ministry, and then he gives us the gift of the Father's love for intimacy. Just think about, with all those things about the Holy Spirit, how wonderful our Heavenly Father is. He gave us the promise of the Spirit, who is the power for Christian living and for mission. He's our helper and our comforter and our counselor. He leads us and teaches us and helps us relate to the Father and helps us be secure in our position before the Father. He gives us gifts to serve the Father. And whenever we're lacking, He pours the love of the Father into our hearts. Our God is such a wonderful Father. He wants His children to have power, help, comfort, instruction, gifts, ability, and to know His love. And all those things are experienced by the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so in that sense then, we sometimes kind of refer to the Holy Spirit as an active member of the Trinity. You know what I mean? He's the one who manifests the presence of God. He, he's the one who is speaking to the people of God. What did Jesus say to the churches in the book of Revelation? Hear what the Spirit says to the church. He's an active member of the Trinity, and he's a person to be pursued in relationship. Some of you are realizing, wow, I want to know the Holy Spirit more. And, and I want more of what he does to be happening in my life. Now, three basic things that the Holy Spirit will do or the way that the work of the Holy Spirit will manifest himself, or why he has this ministry. The first thing is he glorifies Jesus. Jesus said that in John 15. He said, the Holy Spirit will bear witness of me. And then he said in John 16, verse 14, that the Holy Spirit would glorify Jesus. 
And so that helps us then to discern what is a real and legitimate move of the Spirit of God and what might just be a work of the flesh or deception of the enemy or just some fanciful marketing. What is a real and authentic and genuine move of God's Spirit? How will you know? Well, Jesus will be getting the glory. Jesus will be glorified. If it's a work of a flesh, then there's always going to be some man or some organization that is getting the glory whose name is getting big. If it's a work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' name will be getting big. Jesus will get the glory. The attention will be directed to him. Amen? That ought to help you to discern. And that ought to help you to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit in your own life. If the Holy Spirit is leading you in a direction, it's going to be a direction that gives glory to Jesus Christ. If it gives glory to you, it's probably not the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's probably the leading of your own wicked heart or your flesh. But the job of the Holy Spirit is to glorify and bear witness to Jesus Christ. Now, the second job is to convict unbelievers. John chapter 16 says this in verse 8, Jesus speaking. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the job of the Holy Spirit is not just to glorify Jesus, but to convict non-believers. To convict means to convince. This is a wonderful truth. It's not your job to convince anybody. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's your job to represent Jesus Christ. That simplifies it, doesn't it? You represent Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit does the convicting and the convincing. At times, we may have to represent Jesus Christ with some reasoned arguments and some apologetics and some demonstrations of logic and some scriptural proofs. That's fine. But the work is done by the Holy Spirit. You ought to realize that because that will free you to do ministry in your workplace. That will free you to minister in your family. That will loosen your lips to witness for Jesus Christ on your school because you realize, hey, all I need to do is represent and then the real work is left up to the Holy Spirit and I can trust him to do his work. And then you begin to see this wonderful symbiotic relationship take place and you find yourself in partnership with the Spirit of God and it's awesome and it's exciting. Listen, as a preacher of the gospel and a teacher of the Bible, I take tremendous comfort in the fact that it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convince non-believers. Didn't we just have Easter and we saw hundreds of people come forward at our Easter service and get saved? Listen, I knew that all I had to do was speak the truth in love and the Holy Spirit would do the rest. Just speak the truth in love and the Holy Spirit would do the rest. It's no different in your workplace, in your school, in your family. You represent Jesus Christ with your actions and your words and watch what the Holy Spirit does. Now the third thing is that he enables believers. We've been reading through the Old Testament together and you have read by now where you're at in the Old Testament. You have read literally hundreds of times this phrase, and the Holy Spirit came upon him mightily. You've read that hundreds of times. And the Spirit came upon him mightily. The Spirit came upon David mightily. The Spirit came upon Josiah mightily. The Spirit came upon Saul mightily. The Spirit came upon Samuel mightily, whoever it was. And then what flowed forth from that was something supernatural, something awesome, something that was not achievable by human means, something almost unbelievable. We see the same thing in the New Testament. 
with the apostles in the book of Acts, when they were confronted with overwhelming circumstances, we see that this phrase, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, when he was being martyred, stoned to death, and Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. When Peter was threatened with imprisonment, and Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Peter preached, and Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul having just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to meet overwhelming needs in the very moment of need. But here's what we've got to realize to experience the full function of the Holy Spirit. Is that his ministry and his gifts and his anointing are not for ourselves. You see, we have to misconstrue the idea of gifts because we think Christmas. Oh, gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. Oh, good. Give me a gift and it's going to make me happy. That's not the case. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are that we might minister to others. That we might minister to others. And it's not until you get that mindset that we exist for the mission of God and for the service of others that you can ever hope to experience the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so many Christians never do. You know why? Because Christians in America are extremely narcissistic. That is to say, extremely self-centered. And, and we have placated, we, 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 have, we, have, we have contorted Christianity to be something it was never meant to be, a self-centered religion. We have sought to make Christianity all about ourselves. God, what are you going to do for me? And what are you going to do for my problems? And God, how are you going to heal me? And how are you going to help me with my finances? And Lord, when I go to church, how is it going to meet my needs? And how is it going to minister to me? And who's going to take care of me? And that is narcissism. And it is evil and it is contrary to Christianity. And the church that has that mindset will never experience the power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is poured out to complete the mission of God and that the people of God might serve others by the power of the Holy Spirit. And until we get on God's agenda and, and we ask God to burden our hearts with that which burdens His, don't expect to see the Holy Spirit moving powerfully. Don't expect in your personal life to ever experience the fullness thereof. When it's all about you, you don't need the Holy Spirit. He'll still do some things but you'll never get the fullness. You'll be like the Exodus generation who, who, who came to the edge of the promised land at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 13 and 14. And they didn't enter in because they had an attitude of self-preservation. Their attitude was that of self-preservation instead of what is God's mission for God's people right now for the benefit of his people and for the glory of God. Their attitude was out of self-preservation and so they didn't enter into the fullness and they wandered in dryness in the wilderness. Contrast them to the Joshua generation that we've been studying about who, who, who got a heart for the mission of God that they would enter into Canaan and be in a place of blessing for the people of God and so they are experiencing the fullness of God in their lives. And that's victorious Christian living. And as long as we are self-centered and self-absorbed, we will never experience victorious Christian living because that is contrary to Christianity. And so if we want to experience the power and the anointing and the moving of the Holy Spirit, we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to begin to say, hey God, what do you want to do with my life? 
And you know what? Even forget about my life. Okay, God, what are you doing? Where are you moving? To discern where the Spirit of God is moving and then to go there. Lord, what are you up to? I, I, I want to be a part of it. That's when you'll experience power. That's when you'll begin to experience the fullness. And, and, and then when you start to look around, you say, okay, who needs help? You need help to be sure, but get over your own needs for a minute. Okay, what other needs can I meet? You know how radical church would be? If we, if we left in the secular world our consumerism, if we left that in the secular world, and when we gathered together, we were no longer consumeristic Christians, but we were Christ-like Christians, wanting to give, wanting to love on others, wanting to pour into others. I'll tell you what, if we were like that, we'd stay together as a church for a long time. You know why people often leave churches? Because they're consumers. They go and they don't like something, so they, they, they go down the street. You know, they go to Costco, and Costco's not meeting their needs, so they go to Kmart, and Kmart's not doing it for them, so they go to Target. And Christianity has been plagued with a consumerism that breaks apart what was meant to be the family of God. You don't like something in a family, you don't bail on that. You don't bail on that. You stick together as a family. We're to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to be the body of Christ. We're to be bound together by the Spirit of God and in a blood covenant through Jesus Christ. And when we get over our consumerism and get into Jesus Christ, life is going to get radical. Life is going to get exciting. We're going to begin to experience the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now let me finish by saying this. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. You, you can't be born again without the Holy Spirit indwelling you. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment for our salvation. Okay? The moment you're born again, the Holy Spirit is placed in you. In John chapter 20, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. At that moment, the Holy Spirit was in them. Okay? Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in in them. Can't be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit's in you. But every Christian needs to have the Holy Spirit come upon them. And at, in John 20, Jesus breathes and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's in them. But then in Acts 1, he says, now wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There is a second experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And every Christian needs to have it because our mission on this earth is to represent Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses in your local region and to the outermost parts of the earth. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian needs it. And then every Christian can count on subsequent fillings with the Holy Spirit. We, we see throughout Scripture that the people who had already had the Holy Spirit indwelling them and who had had the Holy Spirit come upon them later on in the moment of need received fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to seek to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, the Spirit is in you. But you need to make sure that you've had the Spirit come upon you. 
the baptism with the Holy Spirit. According to the book of Acts, sometimes it happens at the moment of salvation. That's what we see in Acts 10, 44 through 48. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit came upon them. By a sovereign work of God, they had the Holy Spirit in them and upon them for power. But we also see in the book of Acts that sometimes it was a post-conversion experience. Someone had been saved for a while, but they hadn't had the Holy Spirit come upon them for power. That's what Pentecost was. They already had it in them, but then it came upon them. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, there were some believers who hadn't had the Spirit come upon them. And so the boys lay hands upon them and the Spirit comes upon them. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, same thing. Some believers didn't have the Spirit yet come upon them. And Paul lays hands on them and prays for them. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit came upon people, there were outward manifestations. Sometimes they would speak in tongues. Sometimes they would prophesy. Sometimes in the book of Acts, there was nothing. But to be sure, there was power. There was newness. There's a God-given ability to represent Jesus Christ. And then after that initial baptism, there was an available filling whenever it was needed to meet overwhelming needs with supernatural means. Now I ask you this. What do you need from God today? Some of you, you're here and you just need to be saved. You haven't been saved yet. You haven't called upon Jesus Christ to save you, to forgive you of your sins. You, you haven't yet confessed, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Uh, please forgive me according to that. The Holy Spirit will be in you. Some of you, you've already been saved, but you're not sure that the Holy Spirit has ever come upon you. How would you know? Well, you lack power. Well, how would I know if I lack power? Well, your life is characterized mostly by defeat instead of victory, and there's no real ministry flowing forth from your life. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to experience some victory. And there is going to be an outflow of ministry. Don't tell me you have the Holy Spirit if there's no victory and no ministry. You don't. But you can. Some of you, you just need a fresh filling today. Man, life is so gnarly. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, but you need a fresh filling. It's available for you today. Some of you, you don't know what you need. You say, wow, Lord, this guy, he's only confused me today. I really don't know what I need now. The good news is the Lord knows exactly what you need today. And he wants to give it to you from a kind father's heart. And so here's a prayer for us. Here's a prayer for us. Lord, I want everything you have for me right now. Nothing more, but nothing less. You might not even understand all the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. I might have only confused you. God's not confused. God, I want everything you have for me, nothing more, nothing less. That's your prayer today. Look what Jesus said in, in Luke 11, and I'm done with this. He said, I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You're not going to give him a snake. Or if your son asks you for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All you got to do is come today and say, Father, I want the Holy Spirit. Everything that you have for me. And you know what's been said? This has been said. You have as much of God as you want. You have as much of God functioning in your life as you want. Sometimes you got to ask. Sometimes you got to seek. Sometimes you got to knock. Today's the day to do that. James says, you have not because you ask not. But sometimes you ask and don't receive because you ask with selfish motives. Some of you are so narcissistic and bound up in selfish things. You got no need for the Holy Spirit. Get set free today. 
get over yourself and get into the mission of God and the needs of others. And I'll tell you, you will experience the Holy Spirit when you start moving after that gig. The Lord knows what you have need of today, but this is your moment to ask. So the worship team is going to come. We're going to sing some songs that are prayerful. And you begin to seek the Holy Spirit. Listen, don't leave today till you get what you need. For yourself, no. For the mission of God and the people of God. Don't leave today until you have received power from on high. If you've got to get on your face and cry out to God with every fiber of your being, Jesus said sometimes you ask, sometimes you seek, sometimes you knock. Prayer team is going to be up here. I believe that God wants to give some gifts today, some radical, supernatural, gnarly, awesome, trippy, freaky gifts. Some of you today need to come forward. Yeah, amen. And just say to the prayer team, hey man, I want everything the Lord has for me. Lay hands on me. They'll slap some oil on you, lay hands on you. Holy Spirit's going to come and do stuff. I believe that, there's, that the Holy Spirit wants to heal some people today. To really heal some people. Some of you can get up out of your seat today, come forward to the prayer team. There'll be pastors and elders and ministers over here. I think God wants to heal some of you. I think some of you need to be set free to minister today. Put a move on that right where you're at today. You know what you can do? You can turn to the person that you came to church with and say, brother, sister, how can I pray for you? I want to be over myself right now. I want to help you. How can I help you? Go to someone you don't even know and say, hey, man, what do you want from the Holy Spirit? If somebody asks you that, go big. Go big. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Amen? <laughs> Father, that you'd send the Holy Spirit to fall upon us now. Holy Spirit, come and have your way here. We are weak and frail and silly and often confused. But you are strong and awesome and clear and right. Come, Holy Spirit of God, meet your people. You know what we have need of, to heal our hearts and to minister to others, to be involved in your mission. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, send the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Teach us to ask and to seek and to knock. Teach us to cry and call out upon you. Come, Holy Spirit.